The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Just a little background. Uh, as far as 1 Corinthians goes, you'll remember that this church was a hot mess. Horrid divisions, you heard it in this text. You come celebrate the Lord's Supper and you got some people passed out from too much vino. Um, there's divisions, there's lawsuits. Wouldn't you love that church? I'm being sued by Deacon, you know, Deacon Bob. He's suing me. Or um, there was sexual deviancy in ways where even the culture was like, ew. Um, it was amazing. They're a mess. They're terribly hypocritical. And I was thinking as I was looking at this letter again how I would have been so tempted just to write them off to heck with these people. Uh, you ever been tempted to write off hypocritical Christians? They just, they, they're so fake. They do the opposite of what they say they believe. And it's easy just to be like, all right, I'm done. And what shocks me is that the Apostle Paul won't do that. He won't just write them off. He pursues them, and his mission is to get them to truly remember the one thing, the hub of the wheel for us, the one thing that everything depends on. And of course, we know it's the gospel. Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. Now, of course, the Corinthians say they believe the gospel. They're going to church. They're still celebrating the Lord's Supper. They say they believe it, and many of them do. But yet there's this idea that they've forgotten what they say they believe. Or I guess you could say they're taking it for granted. They're not broken by it anymore. They're not amazed by it anymore. It's not owning them anymore. They're just going through the motions and all their pride is leaking out. And so Paul says, hey, you gotta remember, you gotta relearn, you gotta reapply. Even in the text he gives us today, Jesus says, do this in what? remembrance of me, and it doesn't mean, oh, I forgot Jesus ever existed. No, we're here singing his name and doing his stuff, but do you remember? Do you taste it, who he is and what he's done? So, we're talking about the Lord's Supper today. The question is, what's your heart, what's your mind as you come to the Lord's Supper? Um, we're in a larger section where Paul is handling their public worship. It's going to go from 11 to 14, I think. Uh, if you're really paying attention, you'll be wondering why we skipped the notoriously difficult passage on head coverings. Was anyone wondering that? It's because it's too hard. I give up. I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, we'll do that next week, so pray for me. Bring your tomatoes. Um, we'll be doing that next week. But we celebrate the Lord's Supper first Sunday of the month, so it seemed just right to do Lord's Supper today. So what's your mind and your heart as you come to this meal? Um, if you're newer to Christianity, you'll remember, what did Jesus give us the night he was betrayed? He gave us this meal, highly symbolic, full of meaning, and it's a way, really, isn't it, to experience our reliance on him and what he's done. So, so we eat something that represents his body. We eat it to where we remember, he, he was broken for, uh, for me, and that's my life. It feeds me. We drink the juice that represents his blood shed on the cross. We, we drink it. It goes into us and we remember, this is who I am. This is my life that he died for me. And not just me, but us. So it's very meaningful. We receive what he did. What's your mind and heart when you take it? And as we ask ourselves that question, you really need to ask yourself, what's your mind and your heart as you take the Lord's Supper? 
we have to admit that sometimes on our minds and on our hearts are things that are totally inconsistent with what we're doing. Totally inconsistent. I'll be the first one in line. You ever sang a song about how awesome Jesus is while in your heart you, that's not what you were treasuring? Um, or you eat the Lord's Supper and get it done and did I even pause to think about what I was doing? Or even more than that, it's possible during, during a church service you could be overwhelmed with how angry you are at someone. Easy to do. Hmm. And we're, you know, we're warned in this passage about being sincere, about being real in how we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Paul actually says here to the Corinthians that the way they're taking the Lord's Supper is so bad that they're not even actually taking the Lord's Supper. It's not even the Lord's Supper you eat. So amazingly, you can take the Lord's Supper in such a way that instead of pleasing God, you're actually making him angry. And so, wow, what's going on? So three things we want to see this morning, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Number one, we want to see, try to understand what the Corinthians did wrong. How are they messing this up? Number two, we want to remember, as Paul is pressing on the Corinthians, we want to remember what Jesus did. And number three, we want to see the directives Paul gives the Corinthians, see what they need to do, and try to apply all these things to ourselves as best we can. Okay, so number one, what are the Corinthians doing wrong? Number two, let's remember what Jesus did. Number three, what should the Corinthians have been doing and how can we apply all of this to ourselves? Okay, so let's go. First Corinthians 11, 17, we'll start, page 958 in your chair Bibles. Hope you'll follow along with me. First thing to see is shockingly, Paul basically says that their church services are disgusting. <laughs> The apostle is telling this church that he loves and that he's planted that their church services are disgusting. Look at verse 17 of chapter 11. In the following instructions, I I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. So let that just land on you. You know, we think, oh, when you're a Christian, you gotta go to church, right? We gotta meet together. And the apostle's actually saying to this church, you guys are such a train wreck in how you do this that you should actually probably not meet if you're still gonna do it like this. It's, it's for the worse. Like it's actually worse for you to go to church when you act like this. Those are strong words, aren't they? Then look at verse 20, look what he says there. He says to the Corinthian church, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. I don't know what it is you're eating, but I know what it's not. It's not Jesus. So that's just shocking. And we realize it's possible to go through the motions of church with no actual connection to the reality. And that's terrifying. Isn't it terrifying? I mean, you and I know, we know. What makes Jesus look worse than hypocritical, superficial Christians? And we could collect stories in here. We've We've had stories like this where people who claim the name of Jesus have treated us so poorly, we almost thought, I don't even know if I can do this anymore. And if we dare to be honest, we may have been that person for someone else at some point. It's, it's, it's too easy. It's too possible. One day you're amazed by Jesus, and then you just slowly kind of, huh? 
And, and before you know it, you're just going through the motions. I'm terrified of that. Are you? I'm terrified. And Paul says it's happened to this church so bad that it's almost, you're not even taking, you call it the Lord's Supper, it's not even the Lord's Supper anymore. God help us. So why does Paul use such strong words about their church service? What is it that they're doing so wrong? Are their guitars too loud? Pastor doesn't wear a tie anymore. What is it? Well, look, at, uh, first of all, about their meetings, look at verses 18 and 19. Paul says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. Divisions. So uh, what's a division? Well, it's, it's supercharged cliques, right? It's this group over here, and we look this way, or we think this way, or we like these things, or this is what identifies, and we don't like that group because they're the other way. There's something about them that's, meh, we don't like it. And so these two groups uh, want power over one another, or they demean one another, but there's no fellowship, there's no sharing, there's no love, divisions. Church is useless if we're full of divisions. If we demean one another, we don't show love to one another. Wow. You know, Paul, he throws in something amazing here, and well, look at verse 19. He actually says, there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Mind blown. What did he say? There must be factions among you. So this is necessary, Paul is saying. Maybe in God's sovereignty, God doing his work, for some reason this is necessary. There must be factions among you in order that, why? See, these struggles that we have in our relationships, in our churches, where, where we're not getting along well together, these are doing something. They show a spotlight on something. And what are they showing? Verse 19, there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Genuine what? Christians. Christians. We got to pause here for a second. When Christians are hypocritical, and we all are sometimes, but when Christians are hypocritical, there's a temptation and a tendency to run for the hills or to fight a battle. Right? And, and we, we, we feel the fight or flight. But Paul is asking us to look deeper, look bigger, and to see these things as an opportunity. An opportunity for what? An opportunity to show you love Jesus and you're willing to live for him. Are you the one who's willing in that murky, troubled situation to be like Christ first, to go first, to love first. Now, how many times, whether it's in marriages or friendships or whatever, we say, well, I'll be nice if they'll be nice, okay? We do it at church, we do it in big relationships, we do it in small, if they would treat me well, then I would. Well, let's just build our towers and set up our machine guns and aim them at each other and wait for someone to walk across the field with the white flag that says, let's honor Jesus in this somehow. And Paul is saying, yo church, yo Corinthians, who's for real? 
Is there anybody out there who's for real? Is there anybody out there who loves Jesus, who's willing to risk for this, who's willing to humble themselves for this, who's willing to serve for this? Let's go, because this, this is a chance right here. This is a chance, it's an opportunity for you to glorify Jesus, to show that you're genuine. Ah, that's amazing. So anyway, the one, the one reason their worship's pretty disgusting is their divisions in their service, right? They don't like each other. The second reason their worship is disgusting you see that in verses 21 to 22. So they're eating the Lord's Supper, right? Verse 21. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? I like how you did that, Phil. It was good. What? <laughs> Kidding me? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Okay, first thing. The Corinthian church is in a very different cultural setting than we are. So it's why, it's why some of these things are really hard to connect with. We do the Lord's Supper differently than they do, okay? Probably, according to commentators, they would get together at a, it's like a house church. So it's probably smaller even than this, okay? We're not big, they were smaller, which is fine, it's a house church. And so what, 20, 30 people, maybe, okay? They're getting together in house, and the way they would do it is they would kind of do the ceremony of the bread, and then they'd eat like a regular dinner. Potluck style, except it wasn't culturally normative to share. There's these ancient writings about the embarrassment, the humor from this time period of how rich people would bring their big old potluck basket with all the goodies, and the not-so-rich people would bring their paper bag with a cracker, and the rich people are all like, <laughs> eating, 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 in the presence of the poor people with nothing. It was normative. It was, a, it was a time and place of rich and poor, of slaves and masters, right? If you're a master, if you're rich, what are you used to your slaves doing while you feast? Bring you more. Maybe you can have some leftovers after. It's culturally normative. And cultural norms die hard even when you become a Christian. And they didn't have weekends like we do. Although, obviously, many still have to work on Sunday. It's, it's a challenge when all the services are, are then. But there weren't weekends like that for, for Corinth. And so if you're going to meet, usually it's after work on some day, Sunday, which is a normal weekday for everybody else. And so who can get there first? Well, the rich, the wealthy, I have more freedom over their schedule. Hey, everybody come over. And what do they start doing early? Uh, and, who's, and who's coming later? Who has less control over their schedule? Well, the, the freedmen, um, they, they're putting in the 14-hour. They, they can't get off. And they come when they can, and they have less to bring. And then there's even the, the, the slaves on the lower end of the societal spectrum. They can leave if, if master says for a while. And they come late with very little. And so you've got this idea of communion now. Are you ready? Those with more have been... Yamming it up, eating and drinking, partying, sitting. They got there first. They're probably in the, in the living room. Out in the courtyard are the people who have to come later, and they don't have as much. And it's culturally normative for those with more to be eating all the more, while those who have less are eating what they have less. And they're all like, in the name of Jesus, amen. And Paul says, that is not the Lord's Supper. That's not the Lord's Supper. Look at what he adds in verse where is it? He says, do you despise the church of God and humiliate those 
who have nothing. Let that land. Do you despise the church and humiliate those who have nothing? So what's, what's the core problem here? Because we, we won't be able to apply this to ourselves unless we find the core problem. The way we do Lord's Supper is, you know, it's at the end of the service. Everybody who's coming is here. It's not a timing problem for us, is it? Oh, sorry, we already ate. Um, we don't even use wine anymore, so I don't think it's a drunk problem. Plus, it's like this big, you know? And so, so, so what, what's the... What's the take-home already? Where should we be finding, hmm, a common ground? And, and here's what I think it is. It's despising Christians in your heart. It's despising Christians in your heart for whatever reason. Okay, their context, what's happening, just with almost subconsciously. Hey, we rich, yeah, we're better. Hey, you poor, yeah. You're not. And, and what should they be remembering? You remember the whole gospel thing, right? The more money you have, the more God loves you. Did you catch that on a TV show maybe once? Okay, and you're like, no, 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 that's not it. Okay, may, is it an ethnicity thing? God loves this ethnicity more than that. No. What is it that brings us to Christ? Is it any work that we do, any human distinction? No, this is the preciousness and the, the confrontation of the gospel. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ, right? Period. What's grace? Love you don't deserve. You don't deserve. Well, that's the part we need to repeat. Love you don't deserve. So great. Grace through faith. What's that? What's well, it? It's at least a belief, it's a trust, it's a repentance, it's a, God, I need you. It's a reception of Jesus and what he's done. It's a, it's a submission. I, I trust you, I'm coming, okay? By grace, through faith. Is that enough to make you right? Trust Christ? Is that enough to make you right with God? Yes. You guys don't know this? I've failed, I've been here 12, <laughs> yes! It's enough, by grace through faith in Christ. Which means, now don't you love to apply that standard of grace to your own heart? I mean, that's, that's beautiful, that's liberating. No matter what sin you're struggling with, your fight, who you are, where you've been, what you've done, you can be totally right with God, freely as a gift, by grace through faith in Jesus, who he is and what he's done. That's enough for you to be adopted as God's daughter, God's son. That's enough, come, it's free. Is it enough for that other person too? Okay, so um, is somebody a part of the precious bride of Christ, the church, even if they're poor? Well, yeah, most of them say back then were poor. Uh, what, even if they're rich? Yeah, what if they've hurt you a lot of times? What if they've hurt you a lot of times? What if they're annoying? What, what if they have political views that are just insane? Isn't the church the one place where we can disagree on big things but still come together in unity because we have the biggest thing? 
Yes. Yes. And so, if in your heart there's a demeaning or a bitterness towards or an unforgiveness towards a brother or sister in Christ, that's how we demean the Lord's Supper. That's how we demean it. When we're holding on to little passive-aggressive revenges, when our attitudes towards someone is just, when we won't forgive, that's when we turn the Lord's Supper into something else. Isn't that the application? God help us. So what do we need to do? As always, it's the point of the whole book of Corinthians, the point of every sermon. What do we need to do? What does he draw their minds to? Remember Jesus. Can we stop and remember Jesus? Let's just remember Jesus. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was, what? Betrayed. So I think, all, I think each of these words are important. What night? He's about to do something. What night did he do it? It's the night when everybody was great and kind to him. It's the night when they were all servative and giving him props. Jesus, you're the best. No, he's about to do something, and he's doing it on a certain night, and it's the night he was betrayed. Jesus was abandoned, mistreated, misunderstood, sinned against by his family, his friends, the world at large, those he had treated well. On that night, the night he was betrayed. And what did he do that night? He set out the table of his sacrificial, self-giving love. Verse 24, when he had given thanks, he broke it, broke the bread, and said, this is my body, which is for you. To those who would abandon him, he gives himself. To you, he would give himself. This is for you. Me for you. His body, the bread is broken. My life for yours. You've mistreated me. I'm dying for you. My phone is ringing in a sermon. <laughs> I turned the volume off. I was pre Every time I preach about hypocrisy, my phone goes off in the sermon. <laughs> I'll never again yell at any of you for your phone ringing in the service. I can't demean you as I take the Lord's Supper. <laughs> yes, Lord, I, I hear your voice. That's awesome. Go, do you need one more chuckle? Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. All right. Thanks. <laughs> Verse 25. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. New covenant. Do you remember the promise? Right? All through the Old Testament, there's this law. It's a beautiful law. It's a good law. The people could never do it because they didn't ever want to do it. We couldn't do it either. We can't live up to God's standards. But there's this new covenant 
where Jesus is gonna fulfill the law for us, right? I have never loved God the way I should. I've never loved the, my neighbor as I should. I've got a responsibility to love and serve people. I haven't, I haven't come close to what God wants for me. I'm, I've done the opposite. And Jesus did it for me. And then he dies for me, the perfect sacrifice. And not only that, in this new covenant, right, we get his Holy Spirit to where we start to love what he loves and want what, want what he wants. So this new covenant, this, this is so packed. On the night he was mistreated, on the night he was betrayed, he gave himself up for those who had mistreated them so that he could transform them to be like him. Do you remember that? Do you remember who you are? A child of God, by grace, as we sang today, and grace alone. Do you remember who you are? Do you remember who you are, and do you remember who you are? Do you remember who we are? Have you ever had a day where there is someone that God considers his daughter, and you have demeaned her, and then you celebrate the Lord's Supper? Where Jesus looks at some, somebody and says, that's my guy, I shed my blood for him. And in our hearts, we're like, I can't stand that person. Have you done that? I have. And we forget, verse 26, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're all saying together, he died for us, he's changed us, he's coming back. Remember Jesus Remember him, remember him. So what were they doing? They were demeaning other Christians. They needed to remember Jesus. What's the practical application? Look at verse 27. First of all, you need to eat like you mean it. Take it seriously. Verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Ah, that's one of those scary lines, isn't it? The, the simplest thing we can say is that this is pretty serious. It's pretty serious. Um, your heart towards other believers, other people when you come to the table. I don't wanna be guilty of his body and blood. I think the idea is there is what did Jesus die for? Sin. What are we sometimes treasuring in our hearts while we eat the symbols of his death for us? Sin, how can this be? How can this be? How can you eat this and drink this and treasure the opposite of what it means? And when we do it wrong, we should take it seriously because it brings judgment. Look at these verses. Verse 29, for whoever eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Wow. What do we do with this? Uh, first of all, disclaimer. Disclaimer. There's a horrible urban legend out there that if, it's, if you're suffering, it's because God doesn't like you. I want to say that is horribly, patently False. False, that's not true, it's not what I'm gonna say here. Don't hear it that way, okay? The major example, we know that's false, is who suffered the most ever? Jesus, how did God feel about him? Okay, <laughs> beloved son, keep going. So many of the people God have loved the most, have suffered the most, it's, there's, it's not an automatic correlation. 
And by the way, if you're suffering, you love Jesus, he's gonna, he's gonna, say, he's gonna give us eternal bliss forever. He's gonna make it up to us. He is gonna make it up to us. He can. Okay, that's the disclaimer. What about this line? Doesn't Paul seem to be saying that sometimes, sometimes, he's an apostle, he knows things, I don't know. I'm just saying sometimes it's possible that when Christians are hypocritical and talking big about the gospel and taking the Lord's Supper, while at the same time harboring practice sin, especially in demeaning other believers, God will discipline them with sickness and sometimes death. Sometimes. What are you, you going to do with it? <laughs> Take it into account. Think about it. Again, I'm not saying every time. I'm not saying most of the time. I'm saying sometimes. It's serious. It's serious. Verse 32, when we're judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. It's a strange mercy here. The one thing God doesn't want to let us do for too long is be hypocritical Christians. How many of you had a season of like super hypocriticalness in your Christianity? Okay, I have. And it's probably the most uncomfortable time in my life. It's one thing to suffer something when you're right with God. It's hard, but there's a a cleanness to it. It's another thing to suffer when you know you're, off the, you're way off the beaten path and you're just like, I don't even know who I am or what I am. This is horrid. And God in his mercy is not gonna let us individually or as the bigger church stay in those places. He's gonna discipline us. He's gonna bring us back around. It's love. So what should we do? Take it seriously. Take it, then Paul says, take it in a worthy manner. He does say you need to take it in a worthy manner. Now, number one, do you need to be worthy to take it? Good gosh, no, right? Because we just, you know, if we said you have to be worthy to take it, I'd put the elements right here. We'd play a song. We'd all just look at it. (laughs) You know, one of us might be like, well, and the other one would be like, no, come on. You know, (laughs) we'd look at it. Thanks for coming, okay? If you had to be worthy to take it, no one would take it. If you feel like you're unworthy, you need Jesus, you want him, come take it. It's for you. It's for the unworthy. Don't take it in an unworthy manner. What's the unworthy manner? Well, I see three major things. Number one, look at verse 28. Let a person do what? Examine himself. And then in verse 31, he says, if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So what do we need to do before we take the Lord's Supper? What do we need to do all the time? Examine yourself. Judge yourself. Judge yourself. How do you do this? Well, so often in our sin, we're just responding, especially in relational sin. They hurt me. I I feel this. I'm going to hurt them. We're responding. Will you take a step back and remember the gospel and remember God's word and look at yourself through the lens of God's word? Judge yourself. And what should you be able to find occasionally? This is a little off. My heart towards that person's a little off. What I said there, that was off. 
my response to that person was off. My feelings towards that person is off. And then as you judge yourself according to the gospel, what are you doing next? God, here it is. Here it is. Look at it. Take it. Kill it. Forgive it. Change me. I repent. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's the way we do it. We judge ourselves. We always have a, a moment of silence for you to confess your sins to God when we take communion. Sometimes we feel like it should be 20 minutes, but other times it just, it's, it, what are we doing? Are we, we gotta examine ourselves. Second thing, examine, remember what you're doing. Verse 29 again, whoever eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment. So what should we do? Discern the body. What does that mean? I think it means remember and appreciate what you're doing. Remember what you're doing. What are you doing? I'm feasting on Jesus and what he's done for me. I'm trusting that he died for me. I'm believing that he bled for me. I'm coming with faith. I'm repenting. I'm believing. And not just for me, but all my brothers and sisters. And so I just pronounce in my heart forgiveness, love, unity. Discern it. Believe it. Do what you're doing. Examine yourself. Examine what you're doing. And then the last one. Here's our last point. We need to practically repent towards those we've disregarded. For the Corinthians, look, here's what it looks like. Look at verse 33 and following. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it won't be for judgment. What's the major thing they need? Real practical for these guys. Um, Commentators say in this word wait, there's also this idea of sharing. In the context, there's this idea of sharing. So if they're getting there too early, eating everything, eating all the stuff, why the people don't have anything, don't have anything, that's an, that's a, an outrageous evil, but it's also a quick fix if you want to do it. Look, if you're starving, take a bite earlier. And then when you come to eat the Lord's Supper together, include everyone equally. <laughs> Share. Wait. Bless one another. Treat one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We can do that, right? Easy fix. Well, praise God at Fountain of Life, we will all eat from our potluck at the same time. <laughs> You're all welcome to come up and get the bread and the juice. That's not necessarily, I don't think, our, our repentance point. What's your repentance point? I was thinking of two things. I think the words of Jesus are really powerful, and I want to show you. Uh, first, we'll start in Matthew 5. I think there's a slide for that. Look at what Jesus says here in Matthew 5, 21. Again, we're talking about how do you celebrate the Lord's Supper? The third, you examine yourself, examine what you're doing, and, and third, you, you practically repent when you've demeaned other Christians. What are some ways to do that? Start with Matthew 5. 5, 21, Jesus says, you've heard it said... To those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And we're all like, sweet, I never did that. Oh, verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother or sister will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the what? Hell. The seed of murder is that bitter, 
vindictiveness, that insulting, that demeaning of somebody else, I gotta ask you, is there somebody in your heart like that? And you know you've poured it out on them. Jesus says, verse 23, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember your brother has something against you. So this is when you know you did something wrong. You said something wrong. You were off. Jesus actually says, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be what? Reconcile to your brother. Then come offer your gift. Again, the way to take the Lord's Supper is practical repentance. Some of us aren't going to take the Lord's Supper today. And it's going to be totally up to you. You may not take the Lord's Supper today because you're not a Christian and you're not sure what you think about this, and that's fine. We're glad you're here. It's no problem. Some of us may not take it because we may, we may need to say, you know what? I'm going to reconcile before the next time we eat this with whoever. I'm going to reconcile first. I don't, I don't want to make a mockery of the Lord's Supper. We aren't going to judge any of us for who takes it or not, right? Amen? We're not going to have any eyes looking around, Okay? Who, who are you supposed to judge when you take the Lord's Supper? Just you. It's enough, okay? Just you. Don't worry about anybody else. Just you. Your heart. But we need to reconcile. So you measure it. Is it something so big and so it's been, it's been there for so long, you're like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait till next time so I can get this right? Then don't take. If you're like, okay, I know what I need to do, but I feel all right taking today, that's on you. I'm not judging you. You're judging yourself. But take these words to heart, what does Jesus say about anger, bitterness towards others? You're going to want to reconcile. Doesn't the gospel demand it? What did Jesus do for you? Next thing I want to show you. So, that, so that's the context where you know you've done wrong to somebody else. What about the context when somebody's done wrong to you? I'm going to go to Jesus' words again in Matthew 18. There, uh, Peter asked this amazing question to Jesus. How many times should I forgive somebody, you know? The undertext, there are some real jerks I know, and I think I've run out of the forgiveness quota for them. How many times? And Jesus gives him the whole seven times whatever thing, which just basically means, man, you'll never be done forgiving. And then Jesus tells this parable. And in the story, there's a super rich king, and this dude owes the king billions of dollars or whatever, and the guy's overwhelmed by it, and the king just forgives him, forgives him this huge debt. Don't worry about it, I forgive you. Then the guy who just got forgiven, billions of dollars, goes to the dude who owes him $10, and is like strangling him out for the $10. And when the king hears of it, he's outraged. And the whole point of the parable is, if you've been forgiven so much, how can you not forgive so little? And the reality is, no one has ever sinned against me or against you as massively as I or you have sinned against God. Never. Not close. And so if Jesus has forgiven me, wiped the sway clean, then how can I not forgive the, the one who owes me 10 bucks. Look at Jesus' words, Matthew 18, 32. 
His, this is the end of that parable. His master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to jails, jailers until he should pay all his debt. And here's Jesus' summary, verse 35. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not, what? Forgive your brother from where? Your heart. Uh, when we forgive, it doesn't mean the pain goes away. It doesn't mean that we're saying what they did to us was okay. No and no. It doesn't mean as everything was the same it was before. Not necessarily. But it means that you no longer need to see them pay for what they've done. You no longer need to pay it out. You no longer need to get them back. You no, you no longer hope that anybody else will get them back. You're giving them a, a clean bill. You hope the best for them. You're, you're able to love them. And Jesus is saying, man, if you've known my forgiveness like that, because that's what I've done for you. You realize that's what he's done for you? If you've known my forgiveness like that, you've got to give it. You've got to give it. Listen, it's not an easy button where you're like, oh, it, it, it's a choice. It's pain, you're, but you're saying, I'll take the cost. I don't have to pay it out. But listen, two huge practical ways we practice the Lord's Supper are, number one, if you've really sinned against somebody, what do you need to do? Reconcile, right? And the second one is, if someone sinned against you, what do you need to do? Forgive. Forgive. So here's the point, brothers and sisters. Jesus has loved us, we who deserved his contempt, right? On the night he was betrayed, he gave himself up for us. He's loved us. He's forgiven us. He's wiped the slate clean. He's brought us into his family. Oh, he's saved by grace. That's it. So if you believe that, when we meet in all our lives, let's remember and proclaim him in how we treat one another. So we do that, then we can eat like we mean it. Clean conscience. Not coming to the table because we're worthy of it, but because Jesus has done everything to make us worthy.